Life, life isn't easy. You probably knew that already, right? Life isn't easy. And it's true, we can't have moments, even periods of, of bliss, of rest, of peace. But in general, and as sort of a wider phenomenon, life, it isn't easy. And I guess you knew that already. Faith, on the other hand, isn't easy either. Neither does faith make life easier. At least not the Christian faith. Not the faith of those who set themselves on the way of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm not saying that faith can't be a source of comfort and of strength in the face of life's many troubles. It certainly can and has been and is for many. But that is not quite the same thing as saying that living the Christian faith is an easy thing or that it makes life easier. I would argue that it doesn't and that we have plenty of evidence to back that claim in the world today and in history and in scriptures itself. Let us not grow weary in doing what is right. St. Paul writes to the Galatians in the very last chapter of his letter to them. Let us not grow weary, he writes. And he writes that precisely because not growing weary, not getting tired, is a challenge. This is a hard way to live, the Christian way. Let us not fool ourselves. This is hard work. But why? Why exactly? What is it that is so hard? And that is a good question. And suddenly we might hear a huge number of different answers. Our Father in heaven, Christians pray throughout the world. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But what does it mean for God's will to be done? What depths do we ask be forgiven? And what depths are we compelled to forgive? What temptation need we resist? What evil must we be delivered from? Let us not grow weary in doing what is right, Paul wrote. But what does he have in mind when he says doing what is right? What is it that he is afraid that the Galatians, whom he is writing to, might grow weary of? As we come to the end of our belonging series on the letter of the Apostle Paul to the churches in the province of Galatia, I want to invite you to read 
the very last chapter, it's not a very long chapter, 18 verses, but to read it with these questions in the back of our minds. And I will read uh, for you, uh, and again, I'm, I'm reading from the NRSV, up there you have the NIV, it's a bit different translation, but most of it will be pretty much the same. And Paul writes, my brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Maybe you have heard the expression, uh, telling the truth in love, before. And I won't... I wouldn't argue that this expression is always used in a manipulative way or with the conscious intention of, of doing harm. I don't think so. I think a lot of people use it, think, really want to do their best. But I want to be honest with you. I, it is not at all uncommon that when that expression comes up in a Christian context, telling the truth in love, right, it is a prelude to a monologue of judgment and guilt trapping, right? Tell the truth in love. And it's kind of like running to someone, dropping a very thin mattress behind them, and then pushing them real hard, and being, oh, but you saw how I placed that mattress for you, right? There is a risk 
that we read this first verse of chapter 6 as a call for some sort of holy crusade in which we go out identifying other people's transgressions in order to put them right, all the while making sure that we don't fall into the same error so that we can maintain our own holiness. And I find that such such a notion is not only dangerous and misleading, but it should in fact crumble already at the oncoming of verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But it would be (laughs) short-sighted, however, to try to balance a single verse with another single verse, right? So I want to explore a bit more of this chapter together. And I want to start by pointing out that the verses that follow here, verses 3 to 5, they are very difficult to interpret. And if you go to the commentaries, you'll see that the commentaries struggle and don't agree with each other necessarily or push different ways because this is a difficult text and it's difficult because it displays an apparent contradiction or in the very least a paradox. Right? Bear one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves, all must test their own work, then that work rather than their neighbor's work will will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads. So what's going on here? Are we all supposed to carry our own loads or are we supposed to bear one another's burdens? I don't want to come up with a magical solution to this, but I do want to offer or, or mention two interpretations that I find are reasonable interpretations in the context of, of the letter to the Galatians. One interpretation is that with this second part, Paul is calling attention to the need to examine ourselves rather than judge. And the focus then, he's drawing the focus to the work of restoration, of restoring, restoration of others rather than the work of detecting transgressions, right? And he's calling attention to the need to recognize our own relationship with that reality of sin. So keeping from temptation is a language of keeping us humble when we meet the sin of the other. And recognizing the common grounds of temptation and therefore focusing on the work of restoration. So we may carry our own loads and we may help bear the loads of others, but we may not dump loads on others. That's one possible interpretation of this apparent contradiction in verses 3 to 5. Another one 
which I also find very interest, interesting and it is a diff, uh, uh, takes a different uh, direction, uh, argues that verses three to five are sort of developing what are the consequences of not listening to verse two. So bear one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. And these, who are, these that the verse is then mentioning are those who do not do this, who think they are something, and therefore are not concerned with bearing the burdens of one another. And then they go into this logic of all must test their own work, and that work rather than their neighbor's work will become a cause of pride, for all must carry their own loads." So in their attempt, in their inability to carry each other's burdens, they end up having to carry their own. That's another possible interpretation. And there's others. And I'm not going to land on either of them, but I want to call attention to what is common to these two interpretations is that they take into account the wider context of the, of the letter of Paul to the Galatians and they focus on the dynamics of the community and not of the individual. They are concerned with the dynamics of the community. And again, this is, as we have been saying so often and last week again, this is, or the week before, uh, this is an essential key for interpreting Galatians as well as so much of the scriptures. Remember the plurals. Remember the plurals. Remember that a lot of the yous in scriptures in English are y'alls. They're plural. They are you all and not you individual. Remember the plural. And as we go on into verses 6 to 10, this is again about the dynamic of the community. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teachers. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you, if you all, if you as a community, if you as a brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ, sow to your own flesh. And flesh, in the context here again, is talking about the self serving manner of life. It's not a dualism between body and spirit, as we might be tempted to think. It's not about things that happen in the body. It's about the things that serve the self for the sake of the self versus things that serve the community for the sake of community. Love is expressed in, and grace are expressed in the body just as much as things that we might deem sin. You will... If you, if you, plural, if you all sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is about the dynamic of the community. And then, from verse 11, Paul goes back to his main case in this letter, 
which serves here again as an example of what happens when we are aware of others merely for the sake of the self. And he goes on and emphasizes in one of the main points of the letter, right? He says, see what large, what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hands. And by the way, just for, you know, side note for those of you who are more interested in biblical scholarship, probably at this point, Paul actually writes the last chapter, right, the last paragraph. It was very common in the writing of letters in, in the first and second century in near Eastern culture that you would use uh, professional writers who would write, right? And you would dictate, you would work through this. But in the end, Paul wants to be sure that they know. So he writes with his own hand. I am behind this, right? And that's where this comes from. Close side note, just because that's interesting. See what large letters I make when I'm writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ, even if the circumcised do not, them, even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. And Paul is again talking about without going too much into the repetition for those of you who heard this many times already, but about this group of Jewish legalistic, uh, Jewish legalistic group, which coming from Jerusalem was telling non-Jew believers, non-Jew followers of Christ that they had to be circumcised and follow Jewish food purity laws in order to continue being Christians. They would have to become like them, become Jews, so that they could, in fact, be Christian. And this is what Paul is, is fighting against, and he's saying, no, what Christ has done is the possibility that these two groups can come together before Christ and can together be one family, one unity, one uh, family of faith as they come to Christ. So again, he's emphasizing on one of the main points of the letter, which is that this is not about the victory of one group over the other, or the other over the one, or the righteousness of one group being superior to the other, or the righteousness of the other group being superior to the one. This is not about if the Gentiles had found a better way and the Jews had found a better way or who was better than who. This was about the victory and the righteousness of Christ inviting both groups to himself in a whole new way of relating, a way of love, the way of a new creation. And so it is that in verse 15, Paul repeats almost word by word, with a twist, a phrase that he had already used in chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 6, he had written, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And now he writes, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And it is fundamental here that we understand that Paul is talking about something other or something more than the individual. This isn't about a new creature 
as we so often have read this text. This is a new creation. It is plural, it is holistic, it is encompassing a new creation. A new creation that is expressed through the language and the practice of love in community, for community, and from the community. As we go through this whole section and, and remember it in the, in the setting of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we are reminded of this, and this perhaps calls us up on what might be one of the biggest temptations. And one of the things that we more easily grow tired of. If we think about all of this, and we think about how Paul had just come from talking about the fruits of the Spirit manifest in the context of each otherness, right, of the body, of togetherness, and and talked about the works of the flesh as these self-centered acts. And then we go into this, my brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received a spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well then, perhaps the biggest temptation that we might fall into is that we stop carrying each other's burdens. That we stop caring. Or perhaps that we start caring more about being right than about being gentle, than about being loving, than about showing grace. But we are not saved, Paul argues, by being right. Neither do we save anyone else by putting them right by our own standards. Neither are we saved into a new righteousness of our own. We are saved by the righteousness of Christ into the community of Christ, that in Christ we might carry each other's burdens. And how tempting it is to not. Because it's hard work. It's hard work. Much harder than following Torah and being circumcised. Much harder than following a straight, predefined line of actions and limits. 
actually carrying each other's burdens and daring to love each other and daring to believe that what Christ did brings us together so that we may carry each other's burden. That is hard work, and that is tiring. Maybe you've experienced it. That desire to just not care. Just do your own thing. Just do what works for you. Or maybe convince the other to do what works for you. (laughs) It's difficult. Deciding to love people is difficult. Carrying people's burdens and then seeing them go or rejecting you, it's difficult. It hurts. Or maybe if we want to be a bit more local, (laughs) for those of you who have been long enough in OIC, you know how this goes. People come, you learn to love them, You carry their burdens with them. Maybe they carry your burdens for a couple of years. And they move somewhere else. And you do that a couple of times. Do that three, four times. And at some point, maybe not. It's difficult to choose to do that again, to meet the other, to get to know them to get to know their pain rather than label it or categorize it from a distance, to accept to receive their love rather than keep your distance. But when I read this in the context of the letter of Paul, take care that you yourselves are not tempted, I cannot help but think that the biggest temptation perhaps that we might fall into is to stop carrying each other's burdens, to stop caring. And isn't that perhaps the biggest temptation of a world that eats each other up? When we gather, when we look at the news and try to make some sense of what's happening in COP27. It's a big, big conflict. And underlying it, there's a big question, right? How much do we dare to care about each other? When push comes to shove. How much do we dare to think that what we do here affects somebody that lives across the world? When we handle our economy and watch the news, right? And it's hard work because we have different opinions and different stuff. Look what Look what happened in the U.S. and in Brazil in these last elections, to name a few. How easy it is 
to stop caring. And I don't think Paul brings us a solution in that sense, you know, like a formula. This is how you fix it. He renews an invitation. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. Think about the context of Paul. What a powerful and challenging invitation that is. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. But a new creation is everything. Echoing the phrase he had just said before. Faith being expressed through love in the context of a community a healing community that wants to heal the wholeness of the world is everything. And it is brought into existence. It is made real in Christ, for Christ, in the reality of his body, then and now and forevermore. And that's the hard work of hope and love and repentance that we as a community of faith are engaged on. Our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. Because it's evil. It's evil when we no longer dare to care for each other. It births war, it births hatred, and everything else we see out there and in there. So again, as a community of faith, and I think this is wonderfully present and real, that in this small little church, with our, you know, limited lives, but carrying everything that we carry with our nationalities, with our cultural backgrounds, with our traditions of faith, with our areas of work, we come into this space. And we try to learn and encourage each other to not fall into the temptation of giving up on loving, on caring, and on carrying each other's burdens. Our Father in heaven, our Christ in here, forgive us our sins, give us our daily bread as we forgive those who sin against us. And Lord, Lead us not into temptation. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you that you may know that the Lord is gracious towards you. May the Lord 
turn his face towards each and every one of you into the reality of your lives, of your struggles, and of your joys, that he may bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in his spirit and serve the world and serve the Lord. Serve each other joyfully. Amen.